And we are rolling. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Are you ready for the big game? The big game. Why? Because we can't say Super Bowl? Oh, we can say Super Bowl. Oh, what? What do we care? But, yeah, you can't, like, advertise stuff and say Super Bowl without having a license with... You can't even advertise stuff on your website. Like, Amazon can't say, get stuff for the Super Bowl. They have to say, get stuff for the game. Because well, they'd be cashing in on the trademark of... All right. I don't see that happen with, like, World Series and stuff like that. I don't think that... It may, it may be the case, but maybe it's just not as much of an event. But Jeff asked me, before we sat down, Jeff asked me, you know, oh, so you you don't have to watch Super Bowl, but you have to watch Star Wars. And my point was only that everything about the Super Bowl, particularly the advertisements, are all available on YouTube uh, the day of, if not the day after. So it, there's no... I don't have to watch it that day. And if I need to watch something for... Uh, yeah, I, I actually I less and less have been caring about the commercials. I don't, I think I I watched them uh last year like only cuz I only watched like a few of them. Uh I don't find them very interesting anymore. And I find that the the tenor on those dies down after like a day. People talk about it the next day and then no one ever talks about it anymore. Yeah, there wasn't anything too memorable that I saw. In the first half. Um, it's halftime right now, so we're missing Gaga. Gaga. <laughs> the, the last interesting halftime show I remember was... Um, <laughs> uh, the last time the halftime show made any in big news is when Janet Jackson's boob was right. there, right? I don't think... Well, after that, I mean, they went on like a five-year run of super safe. Yeah. It was like the Wiggles. <laughs> halftime show <laughs> featuring the Wiggles. Uh... And there was one after after nine eleven where where U two did it and it, that was a they were pretty good even though not a big YouTube fan they did, they put on a good show mm-hmm. um, yeah whatever the halftime is is weird thing because it's to, so totally separated from the event yeah so should, should we open this guy up yeah Let's... sure it, 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 and it's never. I mean, U2 is like probably the last time I was an artist I give a crap about. I mean, yeah. sure, I guess it was nice to see Prince, but I was never a big Prince fan anyway. So I think Springsteen was the year after Janet Jackson, if I remember. Mm. It's interesting. I, I found that uh, um, alcohol is, is, is the last thing on the list that's making me cough. So Oh, <laughs> so your cough's all gone. So my cough's drink. all gone until I drink. Perfect. That's perfect for this show. So our pre-show beer is a beer that's too old to drink on the main show. This is the Yards uh, Cicada Belgian-style IPA. Now, the thing is, we don't we didn't know until we just opened it now whether the Belgian-style wins out and we could have still done it on the show mm. or whether it was just going to be a hop-faded mess. So we just couldn't really put it forward. This Belgian-style wins out. I mean, the, the hops... I can tell that there's definitely some hot fanning going on. Yeah. It's not really like a belt. I don't think the Belgian style wins out, actually. It's not like a raging bitch or... You no, know, no, but I, mean, of... but I mean, in terms of what's there, the hops are muted enough that... The hops are uh, muted... <clears throat> that a Belgian style is apparent. Yes, but... It, it's not like it's still... A fine beer, right? You can to me, it's hop faded. It's yeah. not bringing much Belgian. It's, right? Yeah, we made the right choice. Not yes, putting it on the show. yes, I agree. 
where it could have gone the other way. It could have been this rustic Belgian thing with faded hops, but it didn't matter because oh, okay. the faded hops weren't... I see where you're coming from. ...weren't the main thing. Um, so here's an interesting thing that I thought about. You haven't seen probably much uh, lately on the news about cell phones cooking your brain. Right? No, cell I phones haven't. causing cancer. I think in, in, in some sense that, that may have worked itself out because no one uses phones anymore. Everyone's texting each other. So, so it's not holding it near their head. So you're not holding it near your head. So. Or at least the number of hours you are yeah. much reduced. Yeah. I suppose that's a possibility. Um, it just... You know what it probably is? It's probably they're so damn convenient that they don't want to think about the risk. Well, that or there's the fact that everybody has them now. It's not like a portion of the population has them, and so you can draw correlations. Now mm-hmm. everyone has them, and the cancer rates aren't spiking. So clearly there's yeah. – you can't make the correlation anymore uh, to to a high enough you know significance level. Yeah, I suppose you could try, but I, I, I do need my power, my battery not working. All right, yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I'm up to ninety five percent. I was down to like fifty or forty, and I don't like getting that low. I have battery anxiety. <laughs> you don't, obviously. I noticed that you plugged in your your phone at like nine percent. Yeah, it's a long day, I guess. It wore the whole way down. I rarely get it low. It just, I mean, when I'm at home, I don't usually use my phone. Uh, when I'm at work, it's always my kids are playing in. Pokemon Go earlier. Oh, so. okay. Eat up a lot of the battery. That'll do it. That'll do it. I mean, it's at, it's it's whenever I'm in my car, whenever I'm at work, it's plugged in. At home, I don't generally plug it in because uh, mm-hmm. I need it. But yep, yep, yep. The um, sorry, I have a couple of things. So, new thing trend trending on Twitter is the uh, where do you keep your ketchup thing? Where do you keep your ketchup? Right. So fridge. But there's the ketchup does not need to be refrigerated. So in the South and in minority, you know, like the Black South, keeping ketchup in the pantry is common. Mm-hmm. So and, and the first time this was brought to my attention was on an episode of Reply All, where it's a um, Silicon Valley um, diversity type question, but not diversity in the way you're thinking, so to say. It's a problem-solving type thing because you and me who keep our ketchup in the fridge, right. when we run out of ketchup, what do we use as a substitute? Mustard, mayonnaise, something like that. The people who keep their ketchup in the pantry go to vinegar and stuff like that. They, so, you know, they're, they're basically their gut feel of substitution is different. And the argument for hiring a diverse workforce, not not color of your skin diverse, but problem-solving diversity is, you know, when you have people with these different backgrounds, they go about solving problems. They pull in different things into the problem-solving process. Okay. And having that kind of diversity is good for, you know, building a product or something like that is kind of the question. Now, it, it, it's kind of an interesting question because I don't have ketchup at home. Okay. I don't like well, ketchup. <laughs> but... Because there's no craft ketchup, damn it. Well, there is, a, you know, I, I, I lost that battle a long time ago. Um, but I, I don't, you know, or at least you know, regular plain old ketchup. When I have it, which is rare, I can keep it in the fridge because that's where it's fresh. Um, although 
it's got enough vinegar that it really should shouldn't be. I think that's point is yeah. you know, so it's kind of like so. There's this whole thing, and you know, I think it's a fascinating thing about, especially when you think about how people solve problems. You know, because life experiences. If we're all the same, Greg and I are the same, when we run out of ketchup, we're going to go to the mustard, most likely, or something like that, where if you get someone who keeps their ketchup in the pantry, they're going to go to vinegar, pepper, or something like that. See, if I run out of ketchup, <laughs> well, I don't, if Greg I wasn't don't go to mustard, I would go to some sort of hot sauce or sriracha or something. Like, sriracha is a new ketchup. I don't keep that in, in the fridge. So... I don't know what that says. Um, <laughs> I, 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 but the key catch with the fridge is probably like, I, yeah, I doubt it needs to be because of the the content of of vinegar. So, to fast forward to yesterday, yes, this has come up of where do you keep your ketchup? Is this trending thing on Twitter? Mm-hmm. And there was kind of this tone of shaming people who don't keep their ketchup in the fridge. Because it says on the bottle, keep it refrigerated after opening, but you don't need to. <laughs> Perhaps it is. But, you know, because of, you know, the background in this, you know, especially the areas of the country and the households that tend to keep ketchup in the pantry, it sounded to me right away that it's this Pepe, you know, ketchup, you know, <laughs> Pepe. thing. And, you know, so I'm like, did the alt-right start this? And I, I, I didn't find any origins, really. But, you know, that's what popped into my head first. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying, you know, that's where I went. Ketchup is the official condiment of white people. <laughs> but, you know, there was all these things about, you I know. I that'd be mayonnaise. But I I saw these, these keep your a whole the bunch fridge. of tweets that were kind of disparaging people who keep their ketchup in the pantry. So I put together a tweet last night. I don't know if you saw it, but it linked to the diversity thing. And basically, like, we need ketchup in more places, not less. You know, that kind of thing. Mm. We need less ketchup. I mean... (laughs) Okay, forget about your your animosity towards ketchup. People say, i got to keep ketchup in in, in the fridge. But if you have ketchup packets, do you put them in the fridge? No, you keep them in, like, a drawer or something. So... You're finding every corner case, which is not the point of this story. No, I'm kind of dancing around that your point is true. Uh, <laughs> because, I don't um, know. To me, it felt like this thing where we're just, you know, trying to, you know, with all the racist tones that are coming out right now, this just really bugged me. Well, Especially just, when I saw the ketchup shamers. It 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 fits the, the cultural narrative, I suppose. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, this is, this is definitely, it's making me cough. Beer for some reason. Alcohol in general. I had some wine to it. It made me cough yesterday. It made me cough. Interesting. So, yeah, interesting. It's like the last it's probably thing. Probably uh, inflaming some. Yeah, that's my guess. It's probably some new cells that aren't coated in their mucus Could and stuff be. yet and getting inflamed. Could be. What else? Do I have anything else here? Oh, we didn't talk about this and I wanted to. Um, there, there's been a recent kind of. Uh, Thing in the magic community. Now, I don't really follow the magic community. I don't. Okay. I don't like. Uh, but 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 I I somehow came across the information, which is that David Blaine had a special where he was uh, he was pretending to do the bullet catch trick uh, and pretending to do it in a way that made other magicians very angry. Okay. Because he was pretending to actually have a device in his. Mouth that he used to catch an actual shot bullet, which is not how the bullet catch trick works. I don't know if you've ever seen a bullet catch trick before. 
So you catch it in your mouth generally, or no, no, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's a bullet catch trick is is a is a simple switch trick. It's you know it's a you you you're firing a gun, but the gun doesn't actually have the bullet that you're. you're oh, meant to okay, put okay. But but what is what is the premise of the trick that you're catching a bullet with your hand? The premise, of, the teeth, premise of the what? trick is you're catching a bullet with your teeth. Okay, right. well that's what I said, and you said yeah. no. Well, yeah, because that's not what that's not how the trick is performed. Well, no shit, because it's the trick. Yeah, exactly. Well, but David Blaine was was playing it off in his special as if he was trying to come up with a device that would actually stop a bullet in his mouth, so he could do it that way. Which is the way that and like like Penn from Penn and Teller was really complaining about that because the whole point of magic is so. What, okay, so sounds like David Blaine was kind of saying. All the other bullet catches are, are tricks because they're illusions because the physics is too strong. But I'm going to use this device, which makes it actually possible to catch. I didn't see the thing, but it? No? but it was. I mean, it sounds like that's what Pendulet's argument was that it's informing people the wrong way and getting people in a gun crazy culture to try stupid things. Where when they do it, they make everyone aware that it's a trick, but they never like. They, something about the way they justify it, where they never actually say we're going to shoot, we're going to shoot and catch a bullet, shoot a bullet and catch it with our teeth. It's never actually mentioned in, in the, uh, in the way they do the trick. But anyway, the, the point being that he thought it was irresponsible for David Blaine to, and a lot of magicians felt this way. It was irresponsible for David Blaine to play off like he was actually, like he actually had a device that would catch a bullet and it almost killed him, but it didn't just. Because that was just that was a trick, uh, a device he put in his mouth that then made a a dent or something because of some you know whatever was in there, and spit it out, and then also he had a, a, a slow, slow speed of probably some piece of cotton or something that was firing at him. Um, that was the trick, and the trick was to make it look like someone had shot it in, in the mouth with a, little, with a metal thing, and then it almost oh it it almost killed me, but that was that's the trick. But that's still, it's kind of bullshit to be playing around with something that is okay. So what's what's the trick supposed to be then? Well, the trick is. Oh, uh, let me tell you how the trick is done in general. No, no, I mean, what's the premise of the trick? It's you stopped a bullet with your teeth, right? Well, it's just because he made it more gritty, right? Yeah, I, I'm not being pro gun rah rah here. I just don't. I don't see how this is promoting how it's any different. Sure, he made it. I don't know. I don't know. I've, maybe I need to see some of these bullet catch tricks being done. But you know, I'm imagining that it's kind of fanciful and not painful to do it when most magicians do it. And then David Main, David Blaine made it look so risky and painful it almost right. killed him. To me, that's showmanship. <laughs> you know, that's, well, I mean, and I don't like David Blaine particularly. I don't care for much of a showmanship. Uh, I can pretty well, much. That's the argument. I mean, you're making the other, the, the opposite argument, which I think is, has has merit too. Um, uh, I, I knowing how the, how the bullet trick is done, it's a real. I mean, it's a very very simple trick. I mean, you can do it. You can jazz it up and make it very special, which Penn and Teller do. <coughs> uh, but it's. Um, it's known as the most dangerous trick because a lot of people died doing it, mostly because uh, they used to like people used to do the bullet catch trick with, let's say, they would have a somebody in the audience, 
use the gun and they would not point it in the right way. <laughs> like they, like sometimes the, the gun also has to break like a piece of glass between you. So it shows. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the sometimes people magicians would use a real gun that would then shoot like off stage and away from them, but. So you you could have somebody who is uh, who's so a you're actually having someone shoot past you, right? <laughs> yeah, and you could have you could have in, in in those days in the early days of magic, you could have people who are helpers who who are not on your team, and they could you know accidentally shoot you. That's why it's the most dangerous because some people did it unscrupulously and, and paid the price for it. Um, but in in reality, so what what happens in most bullet catch tricks is uh, a a soft wax wad is shot out of the bullet out of, out of the gun uh, that will break the glass but then you know it's slow enough that, that that's and the glass is probably like sugar super or something, thin right? or, yeah I mean um, and the bullet is transferred from one side to the other usually by stagehands or some device uh, because the, the bullet has to be signed on one side and then get to the, into the other person's mouth without them ever crossing over. Oh, okay. So usually, I think in the in the Penn and Teller case, I think they actually um, there's a stand or something that they slip the bullet into that's then taken off stage by stage hands and then put into their bulletproof vest that they put on later. It's one of those things where it's just misdirection. So you mm-hmm. don't, so. It's it's how how do you get the bullet from one side to the other without ever actually walking across and giving it to the other person? That's how they do what they do. It's some see. some sort of mechanism and uh, then then strapped to stuff by stagehands. And then so, why was David Blaine's more irresponsible than Penn and Teller's? Because. David Blaine was making it seem as if it's plausible. It's Is that plausible. It? Yeah. I, I don't. I don't buy it. Right. I, if the tricks are implausible, then they're obvious and they're not fun. Or maybe it's just how did they do that? But I know he really didn't shoot it. But. People were stupid. I'm sure they're maybe Penn and Teller are always like we are not shooting a bullet. But I mean, there's going to be people who. Well, no, they, they they emphasize tons and tons throughout, throughout the show safety, safety, safety. So they, you know, they they are emphasizing it throughout throughout the act. And you can probably pull it up on YouTube or something. You can watch the 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 uh, bullet catcher. Yeah, here's Penn and Teller but right they, here, actually. But they emphasize safety constantly throughout. Without crossing that line. Just step right up here with Teller. What's your name, please, sir? Brett. Brett. Mike and Brett. Now, Mike, you've been examining that bullet a little bit. Examine a little bit more, would you please? Does it seem okay to you? You know a little bit about guns, about bullets? Okay, check it out. You know anything about... Uh, so, let me, let me add something to this before. So, probably what happens is they transfer the bullets backstage using some device. They the stagehands probably fire them using using uh, suppressed guns into a in, into some foam or something so they can get the smell of of from the cartridge and from the bullet that has been fired. And then it's transferred back to them via the uh, you'll you'll see I think in, probably in in this trick I haven't seen this one but the sign these bullets so Mike we're gonna have you pick one of these markers and Brett pull this up so I can take a look at it. Or black, which, uh, you're picking blue is that right Mike? What color are you picking, Brett? Green. Green. 
And yours was a uh, smiley face. And that's right. So they're there. signing the cartridges. Watch these bullets very, very but the cartridges don't the leave the gun. Right, right. But they, they, they want to have the cartridges have the smell and look as if they've been fired. They didn't sign the bullet, though. They sent the cartridge. There's right? no right. way that these bullets could penetrate this glass without breaking it. And they're moving these glass panes. We are going to move the bullet signed on the tip with the initials and no. the picture drawn by Mike to Teller's side of the stage. So it's signed on the tip. Signed with initials by Brett and with a smiley face on the shell to this side of the stage. And we're going to do it using these magic wands. These are 357 Magnum Colt Python magic wands. I'm going to open the chamber here with one hand. Keep your eye on the bullet. Is there anybody here that knows anything about guns right near the front? Anybody around here that can tell a bullet? You know a little bit about them? You can see that that is a real chamber, real gun. We've added the laser sight, which is a little odd, but that's it. You handed it out there. Now, Brett, please stay standing there. Mike, stay right here. And keep your eye on these bullets because, Brett, Mike, <laughs> they got your name on them. <laughs> okay, they skipped a lot of, of stuff. Oh, okay. Mike? Because when they're talking about when he talks through the whole thing, they make a you know they, they're very, very showy about it, but they make a whole thing about safety. You see now they have head, they have, yeah, uh, they have flak, they have bulletproof vests, they have helmets, goggles, right? Your bullet loaded into this gun, and Brett, your bullet. So the the the, the part when they passed it is right gone, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I saw it live. It's all done oh, live. Okay. It's like a ten minute. Or, yeah, about a ten-minute presentation. It's going to get pretty loud in here. That's Ken, our stage manager. When he says, "Ears," or "Watch your ears," please put your fingers in your ears. It's very loud in this small space. Believe me. So they make a big deal about <clears throat> now. My guess is that these guns are actually misaligned. The lasers uh -huh. are sure. uh, not put in the right place, and they they, they could have stagehands who are destroying the um, the glass with squibs. Or, like you said, they're misaligned and, um, well, they still, you know, from the, like you said before, uh, Teller might not be directly between the glass and pen. You right, know? yeah. <laughs> the lasers are being sighted. Bouncing around their faces. Bouncing around their faces and their mouths.
You're opening up their mouths wide. Lasers dancing around their mouths. And then they have the bullets in their room. Mike! You signed a bullet with your initials, and you loaded it into this Colt Python 357 Magnum. Mike, is that your bullet? Are those your three initials? Yeah. In the color you wrote? Yeah. In your handwriting? Mm-hmm. Has it been through the barrel of a gun? Smell it. Can you smell the gunpowder? Yeah. See the rifling? Yeah. Brett, reach into my mouth. <laughs> reach into my mouth. Take it. Are your three initials on there? Yeah. Is it in your writing? Yes. That's your bullet? Yeah. I'm going to now turn off the laser sight. I'm going to open the chamber. Tell me what you see on that shell as it comes out. Yeah, stick figure. What do you see on there? Happy face. Oh, yeah. We never said we would change the shells. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, that is the magic bullet. That was a good trick. But like, so uh, did they? They switched the shells too, then, right? Or no? Um, I can't remember who had whose. Uh, yeah, they would have to have switched the shell. Well, they wouldn't have had to have if they were making it seem like it was the trick was just catching the bullet. Right then, the shells wouldn't. Well, switch. they had them examine the cartridge. And then sign sure. it. Right. So if it was like an easy twist off or something, that probably would have been noticed. Well, no, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying the, the shell casing yeah. switched guns during the trick. No, I, I, I think they were... I, I don't think that was the... No, oh, I thought they said it did or, or didn't. I don't know. I couldn't tell if the shell casing switched guns. So I think, I think what they did, again, is they transferred the cartridge backstage where it was fired in suppressed manner so it wouldn't be heard. Um, then probably reloaded with a with a wax stub or something, mm-hmm. and then transferred the the bullets themselves to their mouths before they did the trick. My guess would be they were in the goggles, and right in the goggles, or in. or you know, they, yeah, they, they maybe they put them down to their neck mm-hmm. and then put them up to their face, or and... or when they're ta- they, they they put on the um the bulletproof vest over their heads, and that's a perfect time. Oh, for yeah, maybe there was a. Yeah, especially you could have a little tab on it that's dissolvable. You know, made of rice paper or something, right? I, th- I believe they mentioned during the trick that you know, um, as I'm putting this, this stuff on, it might. I'm going to sound weird because he talks through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Probably he's going to talk weird because he's <laughs> putting a bullet in his mouth. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, if I was thinking of how to do this, right, I would put the bullet in like this little rice paper envelope, right? Mm-hmm. So you could make sure you could get it quickly. Right. Yeah. There you and go. then it'll so, dissolve, or you can just swallow that yeah. part. Yeah. Yeah, but so, 
so that's how you get the effect of being shot, and you get it to the other side, mm-hmm. but Evan not actually being shot at each other. Right. Because that is impossible. You cannot catch a bullet. No. Yeah. I think... Uh, I mean, back to the original point, though. I, I, I don't... Sure. They said safety, 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 but how do you know that's going to get to all of your audience? You right? don't know, but you can at least do a trick and emphasize the safety part. And then if something happens, you can say, well, the majority of people are not going to. Okay. And David Blaine didn't say, don't do this at home? Uh, I, I, I'm assuming that he did. Right? Yeah, I'm assuming they did. But I guess it's 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 a show of... You know, old versus new in the sense, in some sense. I mean, David Blaine's old now. I mean, he's in his forties at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tom Taylor are probably in their fifties. I don't think they're quite in their sixties. Maybe. I mean, that's his style of magic, though. It's everything's painful. Everything's hard. Yes, right. It, it's it's just a style. I it don't... is. It is kind of a style that everything everything is a fucking nightmare for him to do. Um. Penn is it was interesting because in, in the it was like a ten minute thing that, that I listened to from Penn, and he was saying like they admired David Blaine a lot because his street magic special, the first one, changed the game of sort of like close up magic and stuff that people did. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he did all these like stunts, and um, and Penn is saying I have no problem with that because it, if it's if, if, it, if it won't kill you, if, it, if people are going to try it themselves and it, it's not going to kill you, it's just going to. Uh, to make you aggravated that <laughs> he doesn't really mind, doesn't care, whatever. Uh, the implication being that none of those stunts were real. I didn't think so anyway, but... Yeah, I mean, I'm hardly... I would have thought I'd never be in the place of defending David Blaine. I yeah. don't care for him much, but I, I, I just don't... Maybe I'm missing part of, the, of Penn's problem, but... I, I... If you have that much problem with it, they shouldn't do the trick either. Right? Yeah, I, I kind of... Uh... His point was that there's as much a chance of us getting shot or, or, or us being hurt, Penn and Taylor, doing that trick uh, by some earthquake <laughs> collapsing the stage than there is of us getting hurt by doing the bullet catch. They've designed the trick especially so there is no chance of it ever being dangerous to them. True. Whereas... Uh, the trick as as shown off by David Blaine is is shown as if it is a uh, <laughs> something that, that that could go catastrophically wrong and kill them, and kill them, and almost did. And maybe is that, <sighs> Penn's Penn's point was then if it is the case that 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 that's what's happening, then he's just then. Then David Blaine is a poor magician because no magician in their right mind would ever do something. No, uh, he. <laughs> but I see what you're saying, it's which his, is it's, it's just the showmanship. It, it, yeah, his, it's his, it's his yeah, style, yeah. you know. And he wants to be gritty, and everything he does is painful when he's pulling thread out of his skin or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's just his thing. I don't think it's. I don't think it's the amount of people that thinks that. They themselves could tr- should try this trick between the Penn and Teller version and the David Blaine version in a very small slice. Well, pe- well, I think that's 
in, in magic circles, that's probably not true because in magic circles, the will cast trick is out. No, I'm considered... talking about idiots are going to shoot their friend's head off. Oh, right. Okay. Well, in magic circles, the will cast trick is sort of be considered one of Penn and Teller's signature tricks. So jumping on that is almost like taking a shot at, at them. Okay. So is that part of Penn's problem? Probably. That David Blaine took his trick? I mean, I, I think that there's. There's definitely some. I mean, he mentions it, but there's definitely something about you know that that's that's part of the issue, but it's not the the wholeness of the issue, or it or that is wholeness of the issue, and Penn is finding some other excuse. I don't know. He generally is pretty honest, right? Doesn't mean he always comes up with good uh, with good reasons. I think you you have a good answer to him, at least uh, my version of what he's saying. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's a reasonable point that yeah, that that's just this that's just this Jack. Yeah, I think I mean yeah. Okay, that's enough on that. <laughs> Let's move on. What do we move on to? Metallic hydrogen. Yes, metallic hydrogen. So a couple of guys. So I I have not read the research paper yet. Okay. I've read some science stuff on it, but I have not read the research paper. I, I probably wouldn't understand most of it because uh, material science is not my thing. Okay, so um, second hour of Science Friday, find the segment where they're interviewing the lead researcher. Because, I mean, there's a lot of easily digestible facts about... Mm-hmm. I, I the, know, the no, I know enough about it that I know what like where the questions are. Like, okay. for example, so the, the interesting thing and the cool thing about metallic hydrogen is if it can be made, then theoretically... It would be. It should be stable once it's made into solid. Metastable. That's what's called. Yeah, and um, and it should be superconducting at room temperature. Right. So uh, there's just for the people listening. Uh, so this past week, this story came out. I guess it was probably published in a journal. It was published in Science. In Science. Yeah. Um, in Science. The, in the science material. Two researchers. Or, or two researchers at Harvard. I'm pretty sure it was Harvard. Science is, by the way, one of the most prestigious journals. Okay. So, yes. so they've made metallic hydrogen, they think. Yes, they think. They've determined that it's likely metallic hydrogen because of its reflectivity. Um, so they only have enough of it that is one micron thick and less than the diameter of your of a human hair. Right. And sandwiched between two diamonds under enormous pressure. It's still under enormous pressure. Yes. Which, which I thought was crazy because... How long ago did they make it for it to be published in the journal? And they still have this diamond anvil turned on. Right. You know, like, you would figure, like, after a couple of days, be like, okay, stage two of the experiment. Let it loose and see if the stuff is stable. Um, also, well, th- there's a couple things about, about from from what I read, that there's a couple of questions. First of all, they said they measure because of their reflectivity. Now, they can't measure the pressure because, so normally what happens when people have been trying to make metallic hydrogen for a long time, they use, they use diamond anvils for a long time. Mm-hmm. Diamonds break before they get right. to the kind of pressure. Uh, they talked about this. Yeah. And, but yeah, but people who listen, the four or five people who listen, <laughs> no, no. may not know. Okay. okay. I was going to get into this. Uh, okay. So well, let's see what I know and let's All see right. if, that, okay. if that matches up with, with your knowledge. The, in order to not break the diamonds, they did two things. One, they're not using the lasers that they normally would to measure pressure because those cause the diamonds to fracture. 
The second, so they don't, they aren't quite sure about the freshers. There's a bar, there's a large error bar as associated with the pressure. They they have a feeling it's at this rate, but they're not quite sure because they can't use the lasers for the most accurate pressure reading. The second thing is that they coated the diamonds in aluminum oxide in order to make them stronger. And some people who read the paper think that the aluminum oxide may have just come off of the diamonds, and that's what's giving it the reflectivity. Okay. They did notice in in the uh, experiment that the hydrogen started to get darker and darker and darker and then became reflective. That could be indicative of turning to a metallic state. That could be indicative of the aluminum oxide coming off because it is a very small sample. Mm -hmm. So um, it, and like you said, they haven't opened it up Mm -hmm. and, you know, done more experiments, which is obviously where the next. Yeah, so they want to run current through it because if it's metallic. Hydrogen, then the electrons will be free-flowing. may even be a superconductor. Mm-hmm. And so once they run current through it, that'll be the next step. And then I wasn't listening super closely, so I'm not sure if they're able to run current through it while it's under pressure or whether they have to open up mm-hmm. first to do that experiment. I'm not sure which order things are going to come in. But yeah, they were talking about how it's also predicted to be um, metastable. Like diamond is this, right? You have mm-hmm. carbon. You put it into an oven and pressurize it. turns into diamond. Bring it back to... Room temperature, it's still a diamond. diamond. Now, if you bake it, not in pressure, it'll turn back into carbon. You can really you can bake get... diamonds and turn back into carbon. That's what he. That's what he said, right? He said if you get it up to um, fifteen hundred. Oh yeah, sure, sure. If you yeah get that, yeah, you can't just put it in an oven. You got to put it into well, a... no, no, like an oven. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a blast furnace oven. Yeah. but it'll it'll make the crystal structure yeah, break. Yeah. And so. It's also interesting about what is metallic hydrogen and why is like hydrogen a gas. So hydrogen, the atom, forms a molecule with other hydrogen, H2. So you have two atoms and the electrons, the two electrons are kind of, he said, you know, in the middle, bonding them together. You know, and it's a, it was a shortcut, right? Yeah, okay. So yeah, H2 is, yeah. It's, but the electrons are, you know... Bonding these right, guys yeah. together. It, it, it's it's kind of a it's a loose bond because it's more Van der Waals, I believe, forces than the other forces, just sort of electrostatic mm-hmm. forces. It's not the typical nuclear forces, right? Or not nuclear forces, but the typical forces that are bonding um, uh, electrons into uh, right into atoms. So when you cool down hydrogen to about fourteen Kelvin, because that's interesting. Well, okay, go. It turns into a solid, liquid then solid. Right. When it's in a solid state like that, the distance between atoms of different molecules is about sixty times the difference between distance between the atoms in a in a H two molecule. So that's where the pressure comes in. They start pushing them together, and then at a certain point, once they get equal distance apart, the H two atoms versus the other molecules atoms. Somewhere around there. No, I'm not. I haven't read the research paper. I'm not a material scientist. I'm describing this in very layman's terms, right? That's when they kind of form the metallic structure. And when it becomes a metal, it has the properties of metal. Electrons become free-flowing. So they're not bonding anything anymore. Mm -hmm. They're moving throughout the material. Right. And uh, that's that's kind of it. Essentially, it's a crystal. I mean, metals are basically uh, crystals. I, I just thought it was the, the most shocking part of the interview was that it was still they haven't opened up the machine yet. Yeah, you know it's like really I figured that would be like week two, step one. You know, like okay, we've we've observed this, 
Let's let it loose and see if I the mean, stuff sticks around. If it's true, and I think another reason why people are skeptical is because people have been trying things like this for a long time, and nothing about what they've done, from what I understand, is all that new. So on Science Friday, the scientists basically said, "Come to our lab. We'll help you make the anvils." You know, you know, basically, you know, he's like, you know, if you were one of these other scientists where your anvils keep breaking, or you know, mm. you know, basically, he's inviting those people to come to Harvard and make sure, it- sure. I mean, <laughs> they they now have a process where yeah. they think will will be effective, but I mean, you got to open that thing up and check it out. Yeah, I know that's the thing that shocked me the <laughs> yeah. most. Like, wait, it's still not open as of Friday? What? So, I mean, this this is super cool. I mean, this is. A very big discovery. I mean, it could mean a lot for. It could mean a lot. Imagine if twenty years from now there's a process to create. I mean, hydrogen is super abundant. Imagine there's a process to create a lot of metallic hydrogen. Electrical transmission, electric, any electrical device would kill. I mean, oh know, yeah, the so power making superconductor metal out of the most yeah. abundant element in the universe. Room temperature superconductors. Mm-hmm. I mean, hello, science fiction. This is how the Trello. This is how everything in Star Trek works. You know, <laughs> it's all based on metallic hydrogen. It would seem like a, a, a good answer because yeah, this, this is room temperature conductivity that is hopefully ultimately. I mean, like you said, with the most abundant element in the universe. So uh, any electrical application is uh, easily you know you can. Even storing energy, I think, like you could even like even batteries would be really efficient with that kind of technology. You don't have to worry about resistance in many places. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure about that. But so, I mean, if you're interested, go check that stuff out. Listen to the second hour of Science Friday because it doesn't. It's you know, Science Friday hardly ever gets too technical, mm-hmm. so it might leave Greg wanting more information. But for everyone else listening, which is weird because I remember you complained about Neil deGrasse Tyson saying that he doesn't. Oh, I don't love. I didn't mean to say I think Science Friday is perfect. I, I'm wanting information, too. But I know you'll be wanting information. Yes. But I think for m- most people, and I'm not saying my listeners are dumb. I'm just saying for most people who don't really want to get, you know. They don't want to dig into this, sure. Don't want, you know, college-level course on this stuff. You know, it'll definitely answer all of your questions, most of your questions. But there's other times on Science Friday or Star Talk or something I want more detail. Mm-hmm. But I think well, that's why. I mean, I, t- I tried to get you into into space time on uh, on YouTube. It's it's you know they, they spend ten fifteen yeah. minutes. What I watched some of those. I think you did. That's I don't stuff. think you did. Okay. And the yeah. only thing we did we watched is we watched like a challenge question and talk about mm-hmm. it. But I watched a few more. What do you think? It's good. Yeah. I mean, not lately, but I mean, I've it's it's. I mean, it, it is um, as good as I've seen a pop size show be by. Being by really kind of blurring the mm-hmm. edges between what is pop sci and what is actual. Okay, you need to sort of take notes or at least have a good sure. understanding of this. Oh stuff. yeah, make it hard. Yeah, don't you know? I mean, that's the thing is, Science Friday well, and Star Talk doesn't make it hard really ever. Yeah, I support Sci-Fi. Uh, that's I support Star Talk at thirty dollars a month on okay. Patreon because uh, I think that they're they're totally worth it. And now I get my name in their video. Oh, cool. Well, in the description. And there's a $100 level where you get the name of the video. I'm like, yeah. I, so that's a lot. That's $1,200 a year. <laughs> but $30 a month, that, it's worth it. They got that new sports one now, too. Oh, they have a PBS. 
No, no. You said... Oh, you said... All right. I was thinking you said um, Star Talk. You said the other one. No, I didn't say Star Talk. Yeah, okay. No, not talking about Star Talk. <laughs> talking about Space Time. I was time. like, 30 bucks a... Yeah, Space Time. Okay. It's like 30 bucks a month on Star Talk. Wow. No, 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 no. <laughs> that makes more sense now. Yes. Well, there are two There are two things I support on, on Patreon right now. And they are um, Star Talk and Red Letter Media. So you said Star Talk again. I did say Star Talk. I think you said it last time, too. I, I may have. Okay. Space Time <laughs> and Red Letter Media. So, yeah. I'm paying 45 bucks a month in charity for shit that I love. I watched your Star Trek. Okay. Well, that, that probably means you didn't like it based on... No, that... I didn't love it. Um, I was expecting to love it. I was expecting you to be entertained. I'm trying to think. So the, they were both similar yes, plot lines. They, they were both very sci-fi concept heavy. Uh, you know, uh, high concept, um, high concept, low character, uh, basic. Um, more or less adventure stories. So the first one that I watched was the one with Worf in the multiple dimensions. Right. And... Which is plenty silly, but I think I think a lot of fun. And the, these two, both these episodes to me are distinct in that they're very... They, they have a lot of fun with the premise. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what... What bugged me about him? So in in the first one, what was season seven episode where Worf is traveling between multiple dimensions? He finds himself in multiple realities, where sometimes a different crew member comes back, sometimes he's in different positions, sometimes he's married to Counselor Troy, which is a weird choice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they were so ready and then to. There was, and, and, and it has a whole bunch of fun, and then it's kind of, and then it kind of jumps the shark a bit when it, it, it's having a whole bunch of fun, and then all the enterprises come in. and It's like, oh, this is crazy, and then it kind of jumps the shark where it says, oh, all you got to do is is travel your your thing back into the hole, and that will solve the problem. And it's like, what? <laughs> what ass did you pull that out of? But at that <laughs> point, I thought it it won you over enough that you were just okay, whatever. It has to resolve it somehow. Space magic. There was, um... I love that scene where all the mold... Yeah, I mean, the things that, like... So, like... They glossed over the things I wanted to spend more time on and spend a lot of time on things that, like, okay, you know, like... um, you're seeing some of the alternative universe, you know, enterprises, right? Right, You know, it's like, okay, let's show me more about that. You know, where Riker's like, I'm not going back, damn it! yeah. (laughs) Uh, th- that that's one of the the criticisms was that uh, of that episode was because people people didn't really like it but they thought they uh, yeah there, there there's more story and they're like just there. shoot them <laughs> I'm not going back to it pew okay you're done <laughs> there's more story to tell there for sure but but mm-hmm. um, endless possibilities of course there's plenty of stories to tell but yeah but yeah I mean the the cool thing about it was and also you know remember 80s like, this is 1985 or six something like that. When this happened, so I thought it was nineties. But... Oh, sorry, yeah, ninety-three. Ninety-three, yes, that's right. I think it, the um... I think it started in eighty-seven, right? So yeah. it bugged me how ready they were to to believe him. 
that he wasn't going crazy. You know, well, it's Star Trek. That's mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's crazy shit that happens on that ship all the time. So well, yeah, I mean, that same thing happened in the, the next episode, right? Like this super crazy uh, hypothesis of what's happening to us. That must be it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they did, they did preface it at the beginning, saying, this is going to sound pretty weird. <laughs> but it's, I mean, the, the premise of Star Trek is that there's very little, at least on the next generation, there's very little conflict between the crew, and the crew sort of implicitly trust each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when it gets to crazy shit, because they've all seen crazy shit. And, but, but, they're, but they're a crew, and, and, and they're going right. you know, to work through it to the best of their That's kind of the humanity's advanced... Right, to all work together, mm-hmm. very communal. Yeah, I guess that's part of it. So it it makes it, it that Deep Space Nine was very different in that it really hinged on character conflict a lot more than mm-hmm. than the original Star Trek Next Generation did. Voyager jumped back into the Next Generation where they just, but that that was even less like actual character stories. They just <laughs> they they they've decided because at least in um in these two episodes. There weren't like character stories, but the characters themselves had—you could tell—they had different like outlooks and the different different mm-hmm. ways of looking at things. At least the ones that were featured. Yeah, the um, then the other one where they kept repeating, literally living the same cycle over and over Cause and again. Effect. Yeah, uh, I liked that one. I mean, so like it was somewhat. Oh, I, I was going to say predictable, but like like some of the once you realize what's happening, some of the things that happened in the inter- interim was were pretty predictable. I think you know, like you know, you're waiting for this beat to happen, and like oh, there it happens. You know, yeah. so so there was that. But then the thing that bugged me the most is you know once they loaded data with the signal, you know, like they could only get a single character through or something <laughs> like that, and it was like it was like such a wasted like. It, you know, he just happened to realize what it was at the last instant, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's like... It was a stretch. to The the resolution of it was a stretch because it could have been a little bit more obvious. But they spent a lot of time building up the the fact that it was happening. Yeah. And I thought really one of my favorite things about it, because I was I, I watched these before, I said, do you just see, you know, if I, are they as good as I remember them? Or, or at least are they mm-hmm. decent enough that I think that you'd like them? The, oh. di- okay, sorry. Sorry. the directing... In that one, I think it's really great. You see these scenes over and over again, but you see them from different angles. Yeah, and the um, I think the, I think the missed opportunity high. in that one was, and they even said it right, like let's keep doing everything the same way so we don't right. cause a chain of effects that it, it hinders the outcome or something like that. Um, if they had some more time, they could have done a cycle. Where they, they change things up a little bit and see, and and they and like, somehow get into the same situation, but 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 that would have, yes, I agree. Like from a from a writing standpoint, that's probably more a more interesting story to tell. Well, I don't know about more interesting story to tell, but it isn't. It's a yeah, maybe it is a little more interesting because because yeah, they decided to just keep doing what they did doing. So they didn't want to quote unquote second guess themselves. Mm-hmm. Essentially, they they kept locking themselves into doing the same thing over and over again. Um. Oh, and then when um, Fraser comes out, yeah, Fraser comes out. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and he's been stuck in the loop for eighty years. That I think is a misunderstanding. Oh, because I, I think he's been stuck in the loop for the same amount of time, but it, it was a time thing that pushed him into the future. 
So you think they were just for a week and a half or whatever? Too? Right. Yeah. Because. Uh, see, to me, it was there was implicit that uh, it was implied that you know they have been stuck in the same. It can be interpreted the same years. way, it, it, and you know they could have had a they could have had a, a final segment of you know breaking it to them and like yeah you know, that would have been really interesting right that that story is also a story that you want to hear to see that's yeah. that's where that's why i like rick and morty because rick and morty takes that rick and morty doesn't mm-hmm. end on that shot of the two ships and and picard saying okay well we have to talk about some things rick and morty has a whole episode about not only them doing it but then like what uh what that means and yeah i mean it's Maybe that's maybe maybe that's what Star Trek is. Maybe they're leaving things for you to finish on your own in your imagination. Kind of Star Trek is um, Star Trek was one of the last shows <coughs> that would take unsolicited scripts. They would allow people to send in scripts, and uh, if they were good enough, they would uh, then. Okay. So, so maybe maybe that's part of it, you know, to leave it open ended like that, you know, like the last episode of The Sopranos, right, where you can right, imagine or, on your own what happened. This is my thing about how stories don't end; they resolve because you want to mm-hmm. keep the universe open. Yeah. For but there people. was such a good story there. There's lots of uh, hey, look, there's plenty of great stories, Star- and Star Trek has done those types of stories. Mm-hmm. Star Trek has done the after. Star Trek has done parallel world stories. They did one called Yesterday's Enterprise, which is a great story. Um, which is all about that concept, essentially a, another, another a, a warlike enterprise because of a, because of a decision that was made twenty years ago that that changed the, the face <laughs> of the enterprise. Um, they did a um, they did an episode actually in early in the first season about people from uh, the twentieth century who were on the or the twenty early twenty first century who were in cry, cryonics, but they were orbital cryonics, so they wouldn't get power failures. But somehow one of them was out in God knows where space, and uh, they picked them up, and then they had to adapt to being in the 24th century. That kind of thing. Doesn't look like it should be that hard. <laughs> the 24th century portrayed on TV doesn't look that different. Well, you, you, I mean, you're floating around in basically a city in in space, and you can move faster than the speed of light. That's interesting. There's lots of stuff to do on that ship, full of full of stuff. There's also lots of dangerous shit that happens all the time. And people die all the time. But there's not really, aside from the transporter, there's not really any magic. The technology is magic. The next step from, you know, it's essentially magic. I mean, their ability to sense things, uh, you know, out in, you know, light years away and... What I'm saying is warp speed is magic. We're, we're, Transporters know, is we magic. Have, we have 21st century brains, right? Right. And you know, because of sci-fi, we don't know how to make them, but we understand what how warp speed works. We understand, you know. I mean, aside from like jumping in a transformer, like and like, whoa, do that again, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's like nothing you just like don't can't comprehend, don't understand. Well, so there's lasers, but those are you know typical sci-fi weapons, so. Those are just sort of accepted. Um, there's shields, which again, it's sort of but a I, you know, sci-fi it's thing. a TV show. So if they actually had concepts yeah. in there that 21st century people couldn't understand, it would be very boring TV. Yeah, well, I mean, so like, I guess that's yeah, the, that, I that's guess that's my counter argument. If I mean, like, if that, if that show were made today, you'd see a lot more interesting special effects when the when the ship collides with the Enterprise because mm-hmm. it just looks like 
two models hitting off each other. Yeah. Like, you'd see, I mean, like, the effect of, of the disaster that occurs, you would see, like, the chip buckle and perhaps the whole thing, like, twist mm-hmm. and, you know, fall sure. apart because of what was really going, you know, what, what the stresses that would have been involved in making that thing a true disaster on that magazine. Instead of just, oh, it brushes in the cell and the whole thing blows up. It makes the dinner price seem like it's... Yeah, that, that part didn't bother me. I mean, I was fine with all the effects. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's all, it's, it, it is all ILM. So, I mean, it's all Lucasfilm doing mm-hmm. the effects. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, some of it was a little hokey, but I was fine with the hokiness. You know, the... I mean, I used to watch Next Generation, but I was a kid, right? You know, yeah. and like Worf was, and I know Klingons are stiff, but Worf was so stiff, like yeah. beyond Klingon stiff, you know, that bugged me, you know, things like that, where he could have, he could have still been a distant, cold personality, but not so cardboard. Yeah. yeah. Again, I, I, I mean, Michael Dorn isn't the greatest actor in the world, but I will point to the fact that it is early 90s. Mm-hmm. TV, yeah. Saved by the Bell time. Yeah. I mean, that's probably it. TV's gotten so much better. Yeah. And maybe that's that's. A big I mean, the thing is, you see flashes of brilliance there from people like Patrick Stewart, who is yeah acting at the hell out of shit, even even when the scene doesn't demand it. He's, I mean, but he is brilliant. I'm sure this has been explained. You may know this, but you know he is brilliant, and he was brilliant. How did he get stuck on this little sci-fi show? <laughs> it, it 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 was you know a little job that he took, and he thought it was going to be a small, quick job, and I think he said like for the first. At least three months, he didn't. He he, he kept a suitcase packed because he always said it was gonna, mm-hmm. gonna end, and it just kept going and going and going. Okay. Yeah, just I guess he was looking for something between movies or something like that. Yeah. He takes a Star Trek gig. And yeah, it lasts for like, five years or whatever. Seven, seven, seven years. years, and then he gets into movies because of it, and then mm-hmm. and then that leads to him becoming an even well known, more well known actor. He gets X Men shit. He gets mm-hmm. franchise money. And uh, and he still gets to do all this crazy. He does all these crazy independent films and stuff like that too. Yeah. So. Probably sort of theater stuff too. Oh yeah. So uh, yeah, I just you're right. He, I mean, he was definitely the, the best actor yeah. on the show by far. Um, Lavar Burton was probably was pretty good. I think in the scenes he was in, he did mm-hmm. a pretty good job. But yeah. Um, just like that, that one episode focused on Worf, and you know maybe Worf in the background being Klingon yeah. is okay. fine. But well, when it was focused on Worf, it's like why not? Why don't I give you one that's focused? It's considered one of the best ones that's focused on on, uh, on Picard. Actually, there there are two ones that I want to try. Okay, sure. And one is a very character story, sci-fi premise, high, high concept premise with character story. The other is kind of a. Kind of a pretty little brilliant kind of um, little, little sci-fi story that that really works for Star Trek. It's called Darmok. It's about languages. Okay. The other thing is, I wanted to ask you about the Good Place. I forgot that was another. That was a uh, network TV show that because it mentioned some network stuff that we're watching. The Good Place, which is uh, okay. Mike Schur comedy. Mike Schur did Parks and Rec and Brooklyn Nine Nine. Okay, and he did The Office. He was. He was, um, who did Rain Wilson play on The Office? Not, sort of the D. Dwight. Dwight. He was Dwight's cousin. Oh. <laughs> to okay. Make sure. Okay. <laughs> With the beard. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, it's called The Good Place. Uh, it has Ted Danson and, um, uh, Kirsten Bell in it. And it's about, uh, a person finds herself in, in the afterlife. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I saw previews for it. I haven't yeah. watched the episode. It it's really, really good. Is it? Okay. It it's a serialized comedy. Uh there are thirteen particular like episodes and they have one big story through them. So you think like at the end of the first one, oh it's gonna be this story, and after the second one, oh okay, they, but it's gonna be this story. No, the story keeps changing as it goes on, so it never gets to a like you have it never gets to the point where okay, this is it, it's this is the story that they're going to be doing sitcom riffs off of for the next ten episodes. They right. just keep changing it up, okay. and, it's, and it's it's cool. I just watched on Netflix Glitch. Glitch. Don't it's an Australian show that they that they you know brought into Netflix. It's a show where it starts out like six. It's, it's set in a small town in Australia, and um, six people crawl out of their graves but are like basically in peak physical condition you know like and you know trying to figure out what's going on is and then they find out that they can't leave the town they basically the one guy turns into dust you know when they start getting right at the border their eyes start bleeding and uh but so the the cop finds these people and one of the people that he finds is his wife who died from cancer three years ago well the cop is remarried and about ready to have his first baby so, so may i guess the high concept uh, sure. Because it's called Glitch. Is it a simulation and there's a glitch in the simulation? They, they didn't reveal, in the first season, they didn't reveal um, what's going on. There's uh, like a high-tech pharmaceutical company in town. The 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 clinic doctor that is like one of the main characters from the very beginning who's like checking up on these people. She has some hidden secret that has something to do with the uh, pharmaceutical company. There is um, one of the other cops, like kind of like the the county cop that comes and goes. He dies in a car accident and comes back as kind of like this evil guy trying to hunt down and kill all the people that have risen. Like a Terminator? Kind of, yeah. And so they they handled that character in the season, but they wasn't really clear. Almost like... If anything, like the only thing you can figure out is a, it was like the Grim Reaper, like you know it was a glitch in God and life that these people came back and he needs to fix this shit, you know. <laughs> and they really didn't resolve anything in the first season. Second this season, like the premise of remember that show Reaper, Reaper. I, I, some sort familiar. of a, 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 Kevin Smith was involved in in producing. I don't know how involved he was in the day to day action, but it, the, the, it was a comedy essentially. But the basis was that. There were things were getting loose on from 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 hell, and, and they had to Satan had to get this this kid who was okay. Oh yeah, like, yeah, okay. Who was like uh, his son to yeah uh, to to bring them back. To it him. had um, Ray Wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember it was that. Great, yeah, <laughs> that was good. Uh, but so the people that came back. One died. So the guy's wife died three years ago. There was a girl that died in the eighties. There was a wife who died in the 60s. There was a World War I guy. There was a guy from the 1800s. And then there was, like, the first mayor of the town who settled the town. So, like, people are coming back from all different eras. This happened once? They all came back one same night. Yeah. And, and um, so, you know, there's different te- the technology. They crawled out of their graves? Yeah, they were all muddy. They, they crawled out of their graves into the cemetery. Six feet under? No. Let that part go. Okay. Whatever reanimated them helped them <laughs> opened up a easy hatch or something. But no, they crawled out of their graves, and um, but you know, so you have a, 
I think the characters are maybe good. They, maybe they bury people very shallowly. So since you didn't like Travelers, I'm very hesitant to tell you to try to watch this. But I, I you know, I look because each episode, you know, the episodes they focus on different characters, you get some background on the characters. You know, I think they're textured and story. Well, characters. I mean, like, my yeah, the point is, is the characters need to have textures too. They can't just be yeah, basically, uh, you know, you can't. You know, show don't tell. You tell show me who these characters. Yeah, no, don't I, tell me. I, like I said, I. I I don't want. I don't know. I'm really gun shy about recommending it to you. Uh, probably not, but I, I enjoy the characters. Like I'm, the, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. The, the scene where um, guy's ex-wife there, his new wife pregnant. You know, and, like they're trying to figure this shit out. You know, it's it's a pretty interesting scene. And then, you know, he slept with his returned wife, and then the other wife finds out, and so I don't so you know. slept with a dead girl. You know, he's torn because, you know, he loves both of them. You know, it's a situation that shouldn't have happened, right? You know, right. It's, so it's that's interesting. Um, do, do you immediately, you know, so your wife, you know, the, you, you, then you remarried and she comes back. Do you immediately go back to sex? He, he never got over her. She died from cancer. Um, never got over her. Missed her. Things happened. I think it was kind of a, it wasn't like, hey, let's go fuck. It, yeah, was, it was sort of like a passion. Over yeah. Him. Okay. I can get that. It's from a storytelling point of view. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, did, it sounds interesting. I'll. Uh, I didn't really look up any reviews on Travel. I actually couldn't find any. Okay. Uh, I was looking for reviews on it. I'll, I'll look for more for this particular one. It sounds like a show that's more like on your your side of things. Yeah, probably. Um, you know, but as I was watching it. I don't know. I don't know. See, I'm I'm so gun because I, mean, I thought there was thing, like, I thought there was characters in Travelers too. So right, but here's the thing like, about Mr. Are. Robot. Mr. Robot wasn't convinced first, but then when it became clear that it wasn't really about hacking, mm-hmm. it was about mental illness and these characters. That is what sold me on the show, um, and. I like to think that you kept with up the show because of that too, even though the hacking was there, no, that, that, was, was what, a, that was what attracted you to the show. But that isn't what. Um, no, it's not the only reason I watched the yeah, show. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed the characters, the, the drama. You know, that, that that's where the second season. It, it's definitely of, bonus when yeah. you know the hacking is legit. Right, know, it's like not you know quick throw another gig of RAM at it, <laughs> or um, there's a if you if you. Pilot your shuttlecraft back to the warp hole. <laughs> It'll fix everything. Well, they 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 let off some kind of subspace. Oh my god! There's two episodes. A number of times they said subspace. Oh yeah. Holy oh shit. yeah. Well, that that's magic. In, in subspace is the magic of the Star Trek universe. It's it's the way that they do faster than my communication. It's the way they do mm-hmm. all their all their silly shit. Goes through subspace. It's like under space. Yes, I guess. It's where the tachyons live, right? No? Tachyons would be real space. Real space. But okay. they have imaginary mass. Imaginary in, in like, mm-hmm. on a geometrically imaginary. Sure. But we have no idea. But but thing is... I like, didn't mean real tachyons. I meant Star Trek tachyons. But. Well, same thing. <laughs> okay. Now, there are physically things that are called tachyonic, but they're not tachyons. Mm-hmm. There are actual things... But it's it's this uh, it's minutia of particle theory that you don't really need to know. Okay, let's um, drink some beer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>